Hello and welcome to Open Door Films. Before I talk about my guest today, I want to briefly talk about the sponsors of this podcast. The first one is Fountain. Fountain is a podcasting app that lets you earn Bitcoin while listening to your favorite podcast creators. It's no joke. You basically are earning money while you're listening to the very creative minds that make you feel excited every time you turn that app on your phone. It's pretty much a podcasting app that allows you to earn the time you're giving to your favorite creators, which I think is a great thing because as, as intellectually stimulating and educational as podcasts are, they can be very time consuming because there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of fantastic content out there to listen to. And there's only so many hours in the day you can give to. And I'm pretty sure plenty of people who listen to podcasts don't do it while sitting down, unless they're doing something while they're listening to the podcast, whether it's physical or even compute more computer-based. God, did I just say that? Well, I'm a little tired, so I'm just trying to be as accurate as possible. Please don't fault me. Anyway, when it comes to Fountain, the best thing about it is, in addition to being able to stream increments of Bitcoin to your favorite podcast creators as a way of supporting them, like you would with something more centralized like Patreon, even though that shouldn't discourage you from donating to my Patreon, because I'd still appreciate that. The Fountain app allows you to stream Satoshis to your favorite creators in whatever increments you feel the value of their content is worth. And you're even earning Satoshis as you're listening to them. So in a way, you're both helping each other out. Now, the second sponsor of this podcast is Anchor. I'm sure plenty of people who listen to their favorite podcasts have an urge to create their own podcast. I mean, I don't believe that their, their, their creativity is something that is born within people. I think it's something that everybody is capable of. And if you feel inspired to live up to that standard, Anchor can help, that, help you out with that. Because one of the most daunting things about creating a podcast is that you have to publish each episode on each platform out there, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Lisbon, all the other ones out there. Well, Anchor simplifies that because all you got to do is just record yourself once or twice, depending on how many times you screw up in that recording. I mean, look how many times I've probably had to screw up to get, get even this one right. But you pretty much publish it on the Anchor platform, and it distributes it across all the platforms, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Lisbon, CurioCaster, Fountain, the first sponsor of this podcast, PodFreeze, and the many, and the, I don't know how many podcast platforms are out there. Frankly, I'd probably lose count if I just started trying to. But anyway... Anchor just makes it so easy that it'll pretty much be spread across the entire network within a matter of minutes of you pressing that publishing button. Click on the Anchor link I've left down below, anchor.fm, as well as the Fountain link, that way you can start earning some Satoshis, because you know what? The fact that you're giving your, the time, your time to me or any other podcast out there means a lot, and you should be rewarded for that. Now, I felt rewarded today with the guest I had, Christopher Mays, who's a filmmaker and just a very overall intelligent human being, because in addition to already directing two short films, one being Lovesick, which is already, which I've left a link to down below, and his current film, short film Rake is in the festival stage. He uses a lot of, he focuses on a lot of societal, political, and psychological issues as a basis for creating his stories. And I really enjoyed my conversations with him because, I mean, my conversation with him, I mean, conversations is plural, but you know what, I've already invited, I've invited him to the possibility of coming back to the podcast, so we'll probably have more conversations that are intellectually stimulating. But this one proved to be very intellectually stimulating because we talked about a multitude of issues. And it wasn't just around film, it was just about the way society behaves, the way people interact with one another, and how that lack of authenticity can actually function as a form of creative storytelling. Because, you know what, 
Let's be honest. People don't talk to each other in authentic ways nowadays. In fact, I even mentioned at some point that one of the things that really bothers me is when I go running every morning and someone says hello to me, but you can tell by the tone of their voice it's more robotic and conventional than authentic. Now, I'm not saying some aren't sincere about it, and I'm not saying you should not say hello to somebody who says hello to you in the morning. I mean, the fact that they went out of their way to do something that maybe it's even a pain in the ass out of convention for them, you should still say hello because you know what? They might be sincere, you might be misinterpreting it. But that's something else that I think is important. The way we interpret the way we socialize and the way that we interpret how we even view film because um, Christopher and I were just talking about the way we view films and how people now process or how much attention they give to watching movies in relationship to technology, social media, all sorts of shit that wouldn't have been a problem 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, I've personally, made, I've made it clear in prior episodes, I think one of the best eras of film was the 70s because you had much dicier and ballsier films. Now, I'm not saying some films aren't going there nowadays. Hell, we might even be seeing a return to it because I recently saw Bullet with Steve McQueen, and that just made me think a lot of John Wick and the anti-establishment nature of both films. And uh, God, I'm already starting to babble, and I don't want to spoil this conversation. But anyway, I hope you enjoy. Check out Christopher's profile. Check out his two films, um, Lovesick, and obviously keep keep uh, updated on Rake because that is still in the festival stage. And uh, well, just. Keep support this podcast in whatever way you can. Check out the Fountain app. Check out the Anchor app. Check out the Bitcoin buying links, which I've stressed before because I do think it's important that people are fully aware of the technological aspects of it. Um, this monetary asset, which can probably work as not just an inflation hedge, but just as a decentralized form of money that allows us to be our own bank. I mean, I'm not the I'm not a technologist. I'm not a guy who works in software, even though I have a fascination with it. But anyway, aside, I mean, that's a conversation for another day, and I just hope you enjoy the, the show today. Here we go. So just... How are, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and anything. <laughs> All right. So I am a uh, director, screenwriter, producer, an actor. Uh, sometimes I compose a uh, score for uh, films sometimes. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's just basically everything that I do film wise. Um uh, recently, I just started, um, we just started distribute, distributing our um, film, short film Rake, onto film festivals worldwide and nationwide. Um, we're currently waiting from uh, some film festivals. We're currently waiting to hear back from them. And yeah, that's pretty much um, all that's going on right now for, from me. So. And are you at liberty to talk about Rake or is that something you got to keep under wraps until it gets accepted? Uh, that's like something we need to keep under wraps for now, but I, I can say what it's about. Um, it's a horror drama about, um, well, it's more of like a psychological drama with like horror undertones. It's about um, this girl who's in a toxic um, relationship with her mother. She's an alcoholic. And uh, basically she reaches out to this demon 
uh, in this forest to basically summon it to kill her mother. So it's pretty deep stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, that's all I can really say about it. We just we just wrapped uh, um, we just wrapped the film. We, we locked it um, about a couple months ago, about a month ago somewhere around then um and now we're just that's basically all i could talk about right now but yeah are you primarily focused on psychological dramas or are there other areas you like to explore when it comes to your work in film uh i actually started off um in the psychological um genre i i love i love talking about um i love telling stories that are not as straightforward i like to like kind of like investigate what's going on inside of the character's mind a little bit um and i kind of want to like kind of stray away from that because i don't really want to i don't really want to just focus on that one genre because i feel like i'm gonna run out of ideas or run out of um like inspiration from if i stay in that genre i've been wanting to get into more dark comedies um just comedies in general slapstick um, but I also want to keep that, I want to keep those elements of the, of, um, going inside of the, the psyche of the character and of, of the human elements of it, um, and just investigating the dramatic elements of the character as well, uh, through the future films that I make. That's really all, like, that's really what I want to do with film is just, uh, investigate the human elements of the characters that are written in the screenplay, so... Do you think yeah. that a lot of the human element is missing today in a lot of films these days? I feel like it is. I feel like we, we like films nowadays are just focused on spectacle driven um, things and not so much like, like humanist um, elements. Um, I feel like we ignore um, things such as like mental health. Um, There's a film I made, it was called Lovesick. Um, we, sort of investigated how this guy's mental health um, from a breakup, he had like a traumatic breakup in the film and um, you're kind of experiencing the aftermath of the breakup and what he was going through. You know, he had no resources to go to, no sort of help. He was going to a therapist, but the therapist wasn't, um, wasn't doing anything to help. All he was doing was giving the, the patient drugs. And um, I feel like those are the kind of things that we don't really think about nowadays. Um, and I feel like telling those kinds of story, kinds of stories is really important. Um, human stories are really important. I feel like we just don't really talk about them enough. Um, so yeah, I mean. Do you think that this works as more as an evaluation of mental health or even a criticism of the, the role pharmaceuticals play in mental health? Because nowadays, it's more common just to prescribe a drug than it is to, for a therapist to have a genuine human discussion with a patient. And a lot of these drugs have worse long lasting effects than even street drugs. Oh yeah, no, totally. I feel like, I feel like it's both in a, um, in my opinion, because I mean, yeah, I mean, talking to talking, it's just talking to people, you know, I think that's more of a, of a cure than just, than just regular drugs i feel like i feel like we just kind of like i feel like pharmaceutical companies or whatever try to find like instant solutions to depression like you don't need to have a conversation you, you just have, need to, just you have to be sick constantly for them to operate yeah no it's 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 bs i think i mean um i think we just don't really see like 
I just think we we're, we're like overthinking the solution, you know? So I think it's important to tell those kinds of stories. It's interesting so. that you bring up the talking element because I don't, I don't know if you follow Joe Rogan's podcast, but I listen to the pod, even podcast episodes for guests I'm unfamiliar because I like that element. They just talk like human beings. Hello? Hello? Yeah. Can you see me? Yeah, I can. Well, you're, well, can yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you kind of froze on me back there, but don't worry. If, that, if there's an issue, that'll be edited. Like I was saying, I, I don't know. Awesome. Oh, Try try a little bit again to see if it's freeze if it's freezing on you. I can hear you perfectly. My internet. Okay, let's. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Should I move to a different spot real quick? Try it. Let's see if that works. And if not, I'll and I'll edit that part out of the podcast. All right. I'm sorry about that. Give me a second. No, don't worry about it. Shit happens. Does this work better? Oh, it works perfectly. I can see, I can see you and hear you perfectly. Awesome. And don't worry, I'll edit that last part. But uh, when I before shit hit the fan, I was talking, I was mentioning that uh, I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, and even with guests I'm not familiar with, I do enjoy listening to it because it has a fair, it kind of has a therapeutic element to it because they're just people talking like human beings. I mean, sometimes they don't even talk about the stuff the guy that the guest is known for. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the like, that's like I like listening to podcasts like those. Like, I listen to um, the A twenty four podcast, and you you'd expect like these filmmakers and these artists and these actors like just talking about film and their work and all that stuff. But I feel like they they just really only talk about like what's going on in their lives and just like you know, trying to get to get to know each other, you know, and it's like, I think it's like, that's like the best thing, in my opinion, it's just them trying to get comfortable with each other. And I think that, like, going back to like the whole, like, um, lovesick thing, like, I think that the whole talking thing really just makes people comfortable, you know, it's, it's not, it, I don't think it's, it should be like an all work thing. It should be like, you know, two people oh. communicating with each other it's like yeah it's not yeah. scripted because you know what uh, let me put let me put a scenario like say you were to go on cnn i doubt you watch cnn because i'm sure you're aware of how full of shit they are now <laughs> but even if you were to go on cnn you're not talking to anderson cooper you're talking to the corporation he represents because it's already been planned he's got his salary that he has to, and his contract that he has to abide to it so whatever sorry for the burp there he has to ask you whatever questions his manager or his supervisor has scripted for him to make sure whatever narrative they're flowing, they're putting forth is adhered to. And that's just that that's something that's missing from, I mean, even the old news interviews from like 30 years ago feel more authentic. And there were even with the professionalism, but when it comes to podcasting, you feel there's a greater sincerity in the way people just talk about things. Most people don't have the balls to talk about or just talk in ways that people feel is not normal, even though it's how human beings talk overall. I mean, I haven't listened to a 24 podcast in a long time, but the last interview I listened to was between Robert Eggers and Ari Aster, where they were talking about their horror movies. They mentioned them, but they were just talking about their families and all that. And I'm a yeah. guy who's not, and I don't have kids. I'm not the guy who would ever have kids, but it felt more authentic hearing two guys talk about their personal lives. And even the one with uh, Ryan jo 
Ryan Johnson, and I don't know the name of the director of High Life. Her name is, it's a French. Claire Denis, I think. Or, oh, Claire Denis. I thought her name was Denise Claire or something like that. But I sound like an idiot for that. But uh, they were just talking. She was talking about how difficult she found traffic in LA, which I don't blame her. I've heard the traffic there is horrible. Yeah, no, I mean, going back to the whole like corporation thing you brought up, I feel I, I totally agree with that. Like, um, like people are just being forced to like talk about like something, you know, and I, I just don't think it's as authentic enough, like what you said, you know, and I, that's why I love like the human, like part of these podcasts, you know, you're just learning about their lives and you're learning about, you know, what's going on with them. And I feel like that just brings a lot more comfort to the conversation between these two people or however many people are in it. Like going back to what you said about the Robert Eggers and Ari Aster podcast, I had fun listening to that. I was driving, I was driving somewhere and I, I listened to the whole podcast, I think. And I was like, I thought they were just going to talk about hereditary Midsommar and the witch and the lighthouse only, you know, but you know, they went deeper than that. And just, you know, just literally two people, Two human beings having conversation that, that just comes to show that everybody are everybody are human beings you know and from what I see as a writer like I feel like like looking at people like around me I just feel like like looking at them I'm like oh, okay if I start a conversation they might be like talking to me like a robot or something like um or like they might just be kind of like they just look like drones to me you know but uh, like when you, when you when you like talk when you talk to them like it's like oh oh shit you know they're it's actual fucking human being that has the same feelings as me and I think that's the coolest part about it you know um, just having like that the comfort of communication you know especially between therapists and between um, patient you know like like we don't really see in lovesick but I mean like um um you know, I had to go to therapy before and, um, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But I mean, like he didn't prescribe me any drugs. It was just two human beings talking. And I, that was what, like, I loved, I really loved about it. Cause I thought it was just going to be like him, like just pretending to listen, but really he was. And I thought it was like, I don't know. That's what inspired my work now. Um, just, expressing like the human side of like communication and the human side of just human thought and, and all that. So I think that's just amazing, you know? Mm, I get, I totally get you about the robotic elements people embody because I'm, I run every morning and you know what? I don't like it when people say good morning to me, cause it just feels like they're fulfilling some social convention that I know the yeah. way I can tell by the tone of their voice. They're just saying it because it's, what they've been conditioned. I mean, you know what? I have more respect for the people who don't acknowledge me because at least it's honest. I don't care. I I, I don't care. I it just, I mean, there are some, I mean, there there's the rare occasion where the person who says good morning, you can tell it's genuinely sincere. Although yeah. in some cases I do feel it comes from a place of ignorance. I don't know. I just can tell that some people are just not authentic that they're, and yeah, I say good morning in response because you know, Hey, they still went out of their way to do it. So fuck it. But I just feel it's, it's awkward. And when you, when you attribute this to film, more people are totally okay with seeing a superhero film with superficial emotions, not to say all of them are like that, Mm -hmm. as opposed to say, I don't know what's a good example of a film where people are just, I mean, I guess, the perfect example are films like the ones you've mentioned, Midsommar, uh, Lighthouse, 
And I'm not just talking, I'm not just regarding their horror elements. I'm just talking about the way the characters interact with each other in a way where it's uncomfortable, but in something you've seen before, but you don't really like to truly acknowledge. I mean, you would, I mean, in any other scenario, a film like The Lighthouse would have been treated as a horror film of two men, like coming across some supernatural entity in a place they're guarding. But really, it's just a comedy of two men who are very flawed if they are two men and not two sides of the same person. And they are acting in the most buffoonish, vulgar way possible. And you're seeing that they're not people you want to admire. Same with Midsommar. I mean, you realize that the main character is a very lonely, broken person and her boyfriend is a total douchebag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all human emotion right there. Human, human things, you know, um, like what you said with the lighthouse, I really, like, I, like, I didn't think like when I first saw that movie, I did not like it. Cause I thought it was just like really confusing, but it took like a few more watches and I oddly was very satisfied with that movie because, you know, you see these two interactions with these two people and the fact that like movies make like dialogue with like between two characters, like super, like not, they, they make it seem like super scripted, I feel like. And um, I don't know if that makes sense. I can go deeper into that, but. Um, oh yeah, go, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But um, any like, films, any mainstream films you can bash that display that super, that super scripted format, please. I like doing that. Yeah, no, for sure. So let's, let's say, um, I'm trying to think of like a super popular movie that I don't really like. Um, any recent MCU films? Recent, and I mean post Endgame. Because let's go black. Let's go. Let's go Black Widow or something. So, I mean, like I just think like like any MCU film, like really, you can tell like the dialogue scripted and it's not as dramatic. You know, it's not the the, the conversation between the the characters don't seem real. As whereas the light like films like The Lighthouse, you know, you it does. You're not, you're not like expecting what they're about to say next, you know? And that's what, that's, what's really cool about it. Cause like, it's a natural conversation between two characters that don't seem natural to the viewer, but like it's, it is natural though. Cause you don't, you don't know what to expect between these two insane characters. And I think that's just really, I think that's really amazing. What, how Robert Eggers like wrote that. And Even same with dialect. the which Yeah. No, that's amazing. It was amazing there. I still haven't seen The Northman, and I'm curious to see how he does that because it looks like a revenge story, but obviously you can tell he's going to even tap into that Nordic myth, that Nordic culture in a way where the way they talk is just very different from what you would expect. Because I've never seen Game of Thrones, but I doubt that there is a lot of authenticity. I mean, like, I'm sure there's authenticity in the way they speak in the show, but I doubt it's to the level of something like Robert Eggers. Right. Have, have you seen Game of Thrones? I've seen Game of Thrones. Yeah. I, okay, um, I don't sound totally crazy in making that assumption. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it's like a historically accurate show because it's, it does take place medieval times ish sort of. But it's supernatural but, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But it's like very supernatural and, um, you know, it's kind of like another universe kind of thing. You know, it's, you know, the dragons exist and, you know, people have like these weird super abilities. It's, but I mean, I still love the show. I love the show. It's amazingly written. 
Um, but comparing that to like filmmakers like Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, I feel like it's non-comparable. Um, but um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I, th I you got to see The Northman. I think it's like, it's a weird movie, but I think like, um, and it, it is definitely a revenge story, but I think it is, um, I think the way that Robert Eggers tapped into the whole Nordic, Icelandic, like kind of um, look to the film. Yeah, it, it looks, it looks amazing. And I think he, I think he successfully um, tapped into that realm very well. So. Which Skarsgård is in, is the main character. Cause I always confuse them sometimes. Believe it's it. I think it's Alexander Skarsgård. There's so many Skarsgårds. Yeah. And I don't know if Peter Skarsgård is the one that played in that very underrated comedy dark comedy hummingbird with uh jesse eisenberg the one where they're trying to build that pipeline that i, I haven't seen that. i haven't seen that i don't think they're trying to go they're they work in some finance tech company i don't remember because it's been a while since i've seen it mm -hmm. and they're trying to build a, a pipeline that allows them to like basically get accumulate data like uh finance data not in a way where they're cheating or it's insider trading, but in a way where it just flows in a more balanced way and they can make a lot of money for them, their shareholders. And it was fascinating, but it's a movie about Jesse Eisenberg basically risking everything and going insane at the same time. It's really funny because Peter Skarsgård, I think it's Peter, I don't know, or maybe it's Alexander. I confuse them because I think those two look similar, but he puts on a fucking fat suit and that guy's known for being a sex symbol. And he has like a, he has like a bald head. He just looks kind of <laughs> like, like a, an, like a very deformed version of Steve jobs, but it's really well done. I, I think it might still be on Netflix. I don't know exactly, but yeah, when it comes, when you mentioned the MCU black Wid film, black widow, I haven't seen it. I haven't really, the only MCU films I've seen are Spider-Man no way home after Endgame, but that's it. I'm not too optimistic. Fuck, mm -hmm. I'm not optimistic about them bringing back Daredevil because the fact that it's going to be on Disney Plus, and I mean, I, I, I shit you not, I was very pissed off when I saw that they took it off Netflix. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm glad that they put it back on Disney Plus, but I just hope that, like, I, I by the way, I, I'm a big fan of the Daredevil series. Amazingly, amazing. Well, exactly. And what'd you love about it? I, I just loved the, the grittiness. I loved how, like, it was just, like, I loved how real it seemed, you know, it was like, it was not like some, like, PG-13, like, superhero thing, you know, it's not like a PG, like, Disney-fied, like, you know, action series or whatever. Bad editing. Yeah, with bad editing, bad, like, bad comedy or all that stuff, but, I mean. Oh, even the comedy sucks now? great I hope, yeah i hope i hope it doesn't for the the new disney i mean the whole the new daredevil uh reboot series i hope they keep it like the same like the same way it was you know i doubt I it because the thing about them i mean it's interesting that you even brought up that you want to do black comedies because it made me think of this conversation todd phillips had with uh i mean i don't or he was giving an interview we saw a build war for a superhero movie and he wanted to do something different as opposed to comedy because we're now living in a culture where you can get canceled just for saying something that might make people feel uncomfortable i mean look at this year though it's happened with comedians how they've been under attack whether it's uh dave Chappelle. i mean him being tackled 
it's a good thing he started working out because that guy who tackled him, he was just going for it. Oh, yeah. That was like the grenade tackle where they basically jump in front of a grenade with all their force to stop it. And then mm-hmm. the Will Smith slap, which I actually thought when I saw him walk up to the stage, that just looked like something that's part of the show. And then you get the attack Joe Rogan gets because, you know, he expressed a skepticism of the vaccine. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, if you want to see a good movie about that's very similar to what's going on now, see Lenny with uh, Dustin Hoffman, because he plays the comedian Lenny Bruce, who had his license taken away for obscenity charges. Because back in the 60s, you couldn't even say things like cocksucker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think like, it says a lot about our society today, honestly, because, um, you know, going back to the whole corporation thing, I feel like they're being, they're trying to force us to kind of abide by the certain law of what we, what is allowed and what's not allowed. Over civilization. Yeah. On film and television or on any sort of media that comes out nowadays. And I think that's, I think personally that that is bullshit. And I think, you know, people just need to get a grip of, you know, what is, what's fucking real, you know, and this, these films and, series that are coming out right now. I don't think we should follow a certain rule on in film and media, honestly. So oh, God. Really, yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, I totally, but yeah, with Todd Phillips, what he said, what he also mentioned, and then he ended up doing Joker, which isn't a dark comedy. It's definitely inspired by a dark comedy like Glass King of Comedy, but it explores a mental health. And I can see where he was coming from, because if you look at the film he made before Joker, War Dogs, is a black comedy, but it tackles something like the military industrial complex. But Mm -hmm. if you just take out the comedy element, it's fucking horrifying that that's really what war is built on at the current day. Hell, Vice, though, Adam McKay film with Christian Bale playing Dick Cheney. It's a dark comedy. But if you look, even the opening narration about how we're working longer hours for shittier pay while that we don't even have time to focus on issues that people probably would have been more tuned into four decades ago Mm -hmm. and yeah but yeah when it comes to dark comedy would you ever like to do something like that that explores an issue and a multitude of issues in society that people kind of have an idea are happening but they just don't have the time to focus on it yeah, no, I mean, I feel like, I feel like dark comedies nowadays, like focus on external issues that society oppresses onto people nowadays. Um, but I kind of want to, again, like what I said earlier, I kind of want to like explore, like I want to explore it like that, like kind of how like War Dogs did it and more actually like how, what Joker did. Most people did not even, I, most people I know actually don't really like Joker. And I, I actually, I actually really love the film. I really? liked it. Most people, you know, don't like it. Yeah, isn't that weird? Because it's uh, here's why. Because I feel like people, because people expected like kind of like a, like a Batman esque kind of film, or like um like a dark like DC super villain movie or anti hero movie that with like explosions and action and shit like that. But I I personally I personally really liked it because you know, and it's, you know, it's, you know, it's right up my alley, you know, with the whole mental health thing. And that's kind of what I want to explore in my, in like future, like dark comedies that I would love to make because, um, I mean, like, 
it doesn't even have to be like, you know, whole men- like mental health. It could be like family drama issues, kind of like how I did with Rake. Um, also, um, man, like, you know, like could be anything, honestly, could be anything. But yeah, that's kind of what I love to explore, like kind of how like War Dogs did. Um, love that movie, by the way. I love yeah. that movie. I, I think Bradley Cooper's performance in that movie, short as it is, is so underrated. Oh, yeah. You know, Bradley Cooper is the dude, the bro guy, or the guy who's just fun and always like, and he can be that wise guy from time, that mm-hmm. wise sage guy in some ways. But in this movie, he's just a cold, focused. I don't know. I mean, there's something so, there's something alluring about his character. Like he is the, the gun runner they wish they could be, but he's so calm and compressed. He's like, he basically he's that guy who would who is evil, but he fully acknowledges it. He embraces it and he doesn't lie. He's a guy you the evil person you respect because he know because at least he doesn't bullshit himself. I don't I don't I guess I I, can, I think of him similar to a character. Uh, do, are you a fan of anime? Uh not really, no. Well, there was there was this anime I used to watch called Yu Yu Hakusho back in the 90s. And uh, there was this character named Sakio who was a compulsive gambler and a psychopath. But he was different from your traditional anime or movie psychopath. He basically set, told his friend a story or his childhood. He says, I was born into a working class family. I was the youngest of five brothers. My parents were very, never had any money but they were very loving. I hated them both. And you think that that's something that's funny, but then he says he doesn't blame them for his problems. He's just base. he knows he is fucked up. He is the mm-hmm. guy who is so in tune with how fucked up he is. Right. That he doesn't lie to himself. And you got to admire that. And with Bradley Cooper's character, it reminded me of that very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that I thought Bradley Cooper's character was probably one of the most underrated characters in that film. I did love, I did love Miles Teller and Jonah Hill, but I think Bradley Cooper, Cooper's character was definitely a little bit horrifying for me, honestly. I have to revisit that movie too. I, I, it's been a while since I've watched it, but I, there are definitely a lot of elements that I remember and I just love to like revisit it. But what was that? What was that anime called that you said? Yu Yu Hakusho. I mean, I don't know where you can stream it, but one of the, the it's interesting that if you want to get into a, another anime by that same creator on Netflix, Hunter Hunter, it's you, you're going to think it's like the conventional adventure anime, but then it flips everything because it goes against those conventions. And it's from the creator of that show, Yu Yu Hakusho. And the guy is known for being rebellious. He is very anarchic. He's very chaotic. He's just that guy who creates characters that say "fuck you" to <laughs> the uh, rules, and even and even his most innocent characters kind of go against the traditional archetype that they're met, they're usually made into in a way where it tells you that this guy is not interested in following conventions. He's interested in just telling a very a story that isn't about good and evil, and that itself is something I think corrupts like storytelling like it's interesting you brought up joker because somebody who didn't like the movie still gave a decent analysis of it where he said it's very nihilistic and in many ways it is it's not promoting nihilism but it's in a way where you don't root for the joker but you understand where he's coming from and people mix up empathy with sympathy all the time which is a bad thing right 
I mean, the the whole controversy around it was just for sensationalism, that it would promote violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just loved how they made this, you know, this antagonist that people have known for for years and years and years ever since the comics started um, into a likable character in the movie. And I thought that was like, not really, not, I wouldn't say likable, actually. I would just say understandable. Yeah. Yeah, I would say understandable, um, but I that's why that's why I really like the movie. I mean, and I think like Joker definitely was an inspiration towards a short film I made, Lovesick, because you know you understand where the protagonist is coming from, but you know he's about to do some really bad shit, you know, at the end, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, have you been? How have you ever had, have you been always been fascinated by stories like that of morally gray characters that are just not all good or all bad, but you understand where they're coming from that a part of you kind of wishes they, they get what they want. Yes. Yes. I feel like, I feel like every, like there's every protagonist that has a bad side to them that, but like, is but like the reason why they do bad shit is definitely understandable. I love writing characters like those because they have like a, you know, there's like a deep, like, there's like a deep, like, backstory to how they, you know, do what they do. And that's, just, those are just my favorite stories to tell, you know, with like, I did that with, with Rake, I did that with Lovesick. Um, I just feel like writing those, those, like, bad but understandable characters adds a lot of dimension to them, you know, in the story and, and through the whole film. And it's, what do you think makes those characters so attractive aside from being morally great? Do you think it's an environmental aspect that makes them who they are or it's just more willful? I, it can be anything, honestly. It could be um, like with Rake, it was definitely environmentally impacted with how her mom was treating her. And now she wants to like summon this demon to go out and kill her now. And with Lovesick, I, I, for me, like I write, I write my character, like for Lovesick and Rake, I wrote the characters to be environmentally impacted by, um, or situationally impacted by these, these two characters, the mom and the ex-girlfriend. And I think those are just like, I think like, for me, that works the best, honestly, but it could be, it could be, you could write it any way, shape or form, honestly, it could be willful, it could be environmentally impacted or situationally impacted yeah and i think that one filmmaker that does a great job of that even though i still haven't seen two of his films is michael mann because all his characters they all all his stories share the same theme of men who are in moral who are morally gray even if they're on the right side of the law and they're all after some ideal some ideal fantasy version of a life they never had and yet the, the environmental aspects either always interfere or put them in a position where they have to make morally drastic choices or they're just put in situations that make them question their own identity. I mean, I recently saw for the second time Thief with James Caan. And even though he's a, a thief, well, is a thief and a criminal, you understand, just like all his other characters, he's after this ideal version of a life. The same with Robert De Niro's character from Heat. Right. And I don't have you seen Thief? It's actually on Prime. One second. I am so sorry. Oh my God. So sorry.
All right. Sorry about that. I, I, my t the TV just turned on randomly. I was really weird. Yeah, that it. Yeah, I couldn't find a remote for it. Uh, don't worry about it. Shit happens. But uh, if, have you seen FIFA with, with James Conn? No, I haven't. I haven't seen that. It's a great character study. And it just, I mean, it was Michael Mann's first film. So to me, mm -hmm. it, it just feels like one of those movies that, that started everything. I mean, aside from it being his first one, it started the whole, the whole cycle of all the stories he tells, because they all just share the same themes. Men who are looking for something for something much bigger than what they already have. And I still haven't seen Manhunter. And I heard that's a, that's like technically the first Hannibal Lecter film. Yeah. I've only, I've only seen, um, I've only seen heat from Michael Mann. I have to brush up on. Um, you haven't seen collateral. I've never seen collateral. No, I've only seen heat. Actually. I have to catch up on, I have to like brush up on Michael Mann films, honestly, but he was amazing, but I haven't seen the other one, any other ones from him. Wow. You can, you can, yeah, I feel like, I feel like so dumb for doing that, but. <laughs> no, but Collateral is going to like give you a whole new respect for Tom Cruise. Cause in addition to the action films he's played, he plays that type of character you love who he's a hitman, and you could say he's sociopathic, but there's something interesting about him that makes you empathize with him while he's holding Jamie Foxx as a, his own hostage. But he's also just, he's very cool and relaxed and self-aware he sees a lot of the bullshit we see in society mm. and he justifies it i mean i guess i'll give a mild spoiler it's not breaking anything with the plot but there's a moment where jamie fox asks him asks him how can you do the the things you're doing he says oh, what what do you think what do you think i mean we're all living in this world this world one, one planet among one galaxy among hundreds of trillions I mean, mm -hmm. what do you think we met? Cosmic coincidences. Basically, he just gives some philosophical inquiry about the sheer randomness of life. He says, then what are you? I'm indifferent. Mm -hmm. He thinks life is pointless. There's no good reason to live or good, any good reason to die. But he just embraces it like that. Right. That's, but, that's, that's good writing. It sounds oh, like a Oh, yeah. <laughs> and strangely enough, you'll see some parallels with Heat in that film as well aside from it being Michael Mann, but just like even little t tidbits of character qualities you see from prior characters in them. Yeah. I got to well, check that out. There's a lot of things I need to check out. I've, what, I felt like, I, I feel like I've been, I haven't been like brushed up on, on some like classic films recently. So I've been like taking some time to like watch movies, like at least like one or two movies every day to just kind of like catch up, you know, with all the classics and all the, you know things that i need to watch and same with me i've been yeah. I, i'm recent I'm right now watching the movie bullet with steve mcqueen because i never saw steve mcqueen films before and i'm just curious about that old those old school action movies oh yeah or detective films from that period where people films like that were more ballsy right i recently watched um um predator for the first time oh thank <laughs> This is my first time watching Predator, and that's surprising to like some people. They're like, "You haven't seen Alien or Predator?" I'm like, "No," and um, I like the movie, um, but you know, I mean, it's great. You know, to just catch up with the classics always, and you just learn from them. Yeah. Do you think there's a deepness to a movie like Predator because it's not even like normal action movies in many ways? No, it's not. That's what I noticed with the, with Predator because. Um, um, 
I don't, I don't really think it's an action movie. I think it's more of like a slasher kind of thing, you know? Um, you know, you get the, you see these like manly soldiers just getting picked off one by one by this, this, this thing that nobody knows and this mysterious thing. And we don't find out really what it is till like what the middle or the end. No, even in the end, it feels like they don't do the conventional here, the conventional hero thing where the main hero who is like this Herculean archetype defeat him. He basically embraces his more primal side. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger douses himself in, I think in war paint or some, some cap, some type of camouflage and he adapts to like very primitive methods. Yeah. It's like mud. But yeah, he embraces very primitive methods of combat as opposed to the more technological aspects that him and his team were relying on. And you could tell it's, it kind of works as a deconstruction to that whole 80s action genre because in the beginning when him and Carl Weathers like, you know, greet each other, they put a lot of focus on that handshake, sweat-laced, muscular hands, which is usually glorified. But then you see these guys being picked off like nothing. Oh, yeah. That's why I think it's a good movie. I haven't seen Predators with Adrian Brody, the 2010 film, and I heard that was fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I, before I hopped on here, I was, watch, I was watching Predator 2. I'm, I'm, I'm like on a whole Predator binge right now, as a matter of fact, because that new Prey movie just came out. Is that um, a Predator movie. film? Yeah, that's a new Predator film. It just, it just came out like last week. Or Who's something. directing it? I don't know. It starts, I think his name is like Dan. I can't even pronounce his last name, but. Um, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if it was Shane Black again, because Shane Black directed that remake in 2019 or tw- yeah, 2019. And he was actually one of the actors in the first one. Really? He did act before he became a director. And I've never understood his fascination with Christmas in all his movies. Oh, okay. So the guy who directed the new Prey movie is Dan Trachtenberg. He directed 10 Cloverfield Lane and he directed some of the episodes of The Boys and directed an episode of Black Mirror. So yeah, there's some optimism there. I mean, The Boys is a great show. Love. I, I just started watching that show too. It's amazing. It's uh, amazing. It's horrifying when you see how many oh, parallels it has toward the real world. That, that goes that ties back also to the whole corporation thing that we were talking about i think because i think like you know okay we let we trust these superheroes to protect us and you know everything will be okay let's buy their merch and all that to promote like i don't know whatever and i i just think it's a very interesting show because i i never thought like because i feel like superheroes don't tackle stuff like that honestly and that show does it in a way that's like you know something that a regular viewer would not think about. And that's why I was so fascinated by that. But. Oh, it deconstructs the idea of the superhero. And the, I love the great thing about it is that it strays away from the comics entirely. So it makes it, to- it makes a lot of other elements you would find predictable from the mm-hmm. comics, which I heard are good in their own way. But yeah. it gives you an idea of where the narrative could go because they changed a lot of things from what I've read so far. I've never read the boys comics but i've heard that the creator of the garf ennis actually hates superheroes and i mean i the only works i know of his are the boys and his run on the punisher and the punisher is a character that nobody would call a superhero no i wouldn't he, call him a superhero. 
He's just a full-fledged psychopathic vigilante. And even Batman, that character has been deconstructed so much now that we're starting to realize he's not a superhero. He's just an angry, rich guy who, yeah, I mean, it's understandable why he's pissed off. And he's, I think he's, he's the vigilante. If I was, I mean, I, I would want to be because he can find some balance, but I think the Batman did a great job of deconstruct, of, of analyzing that notion as to whether he's really a hero or whether there are more consequential aspects to his, his presence. Have you seen the Batman? Yeah, I've seen the Batman. I love that movie. If what, how would you compare it to prior Batman films? Because I'm just curious because some there's actually now a debate as to whether it's better than the dark Knight or not. This was funny because my, my friends and I were having like, like intense debates on what was better, the dark Knight or the Batman like yeah the batman has like some this sort of style to it like i i think like like i think personally i think like the dark knight is like a tad bit better than the batman um because like there's the storytelling the writing was just phenomenal and i think christopher nolan did a phenomenal job with that movie and i don't think like any batman movie could ever be just like the like the authenticity of how the that screenplay was written you know for the film and i think like this 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 new batman movie is stylistically done better because they made gotham better made gotham look like gotham like this rundown city and i think like i think like the this new batman movie also like we we tapped into more batman than bruce wayne honestly we don't we didn't we don't know who we don't really know who bruce wayne is we just know that he's batman oh even the inspiration for bruce wayne is different i mean did you know that he was in this interpretation was inspired by kurt cobain and if you know anything about kurt cobain he's the last thing you would expect to be as an inspiration for a character like batman a suicidal rocker who was very intelligent very self-aware about bullshit like we are Uh and he ended up i don't know i think he overdosed or or shot himself. I'm not entirely he sure. Himself. Yeah, he shot himself. But people think it's fake or something. People think he like got murdered or something. Nah, well, there, there are crazier things to believe in. Some people still think Elvis is a lot secretly alive. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. I mean, I've I've only listened to Elvis's music. I don't know what his political views were. I don't know what he was into. Yeah, me neither. But when Oh, fine. same with same with Kirk Cobain. I I only just listened to Nirvana, and I don't really know like the story behind anything, but like I just heard something like that. He did keep a journal, and uh, apparently that journal was is on Amazon, where he journaled his thoughts. Like, and then I think they even did that in the Batman when he's writing yeah. down on his journal of what he needs to do, and that's probably tying back to the Kurt Cobain inspiration. Yeah, I mean, and also you hear the music in the background. I mean, I think that movie is. I mean, I can see how that movie is definitely like heavily inspired by, you know, just Kurt Cobain. No. You can you can feel it, you can hear it, you can see it. I think that's done well. Honestly. No, yeah, and and the music is just perfect. Oh, the score was amazing. The score was amazing. But when comparing it to The Dark Knight, I think it it needs more time because. For one thing, The Dark Knight came out in a very different era. It was post the 2008 financial, not pre the 2008 financial crisis. 
it was pre the whole superhero boom that we saw because it came out the summer iron man came out which was yeah. like the genesis of the ncu and iron man was revolutionary in its own way and people had a different perception of superhero films we didn't feel like we were being bombarded by one superhero movie after the next. I mean, nowadays it's common to make a, a, the MCU to make a superhero movie or show off a character that is either great, but we never knew about or C-level and we just didn't know about them. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you saw Moon Knight. I haven't seen it, but I was skeptical. I'm still skeptical about going into it. Oh, no. I Okay, so... I was skeptical about going into Moon Knight and Miss Marvel, but after like people were trying to convince me to watch it, like I thought Moon Knight was very like experimental towards how like it approached like telling this story about um, you know the guy played Moon Knight, and same with Miss Marvel. I think like what Marvel is trying to do with these, these shows, honestly, is just trying, like trying new things, you know, like what, what's going to, what, what's going to work from a directorial approach? How, how are we going to compose these shots? How are we going to cut this all together? How can this like seem different from the movies we make? And I think like with Moon Knight, they did that successfully. Really? Um, yeah. I think they did that successfully in like the first three episodes, same with Miss Marvel, but when it got to like the last three episodes, you don't really see that creative approach anymore. You know, it's just like, okay, now we're going back to the standard, like um, superhero, um, like storyline approach, you know? And I mean, I appreciate the, the creativity put into those first three episodes, but I mean. What do you think causes that? Because it seems like they start off with a good run, but then midway they just cave in do you think that some executives interfere right in the middle I, yeah i'm not i'm actually not too sure maybe maybe that's what it is honestly because you know they want they still want it to they still want it to be to seem interesting to the people that are not really like you know like filmmaker-esque like with a film mind or whatever just they just want to make it easy to watch some for some i think that's like that's like that's like the only answer i can give i don't really know what 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 causes them to do that but no i think um, it if you want you might take i think it's a technological aspect because we're now in an age where attention spans have just been severely depleted with technological advancements i'm for innovation but if mm -hmm. it will i mean i don't know if you know anybody who's who spends like fr free or even five hours on twitter every day which is insane and they should be looked at from a mental health perspective but the fact that they're going to be on their phones, even while a movie is playing, it's just uncommon. The fact that we've become so reliant on them is just bizarre to me. I mean, you can't, people can't even go out for a run without taking their smartphones. I don't bring my smartphone with me because you know what? Last I checked, civilization was still a shit show in the 90s when we didn't have smartphones. And I'm a kid from the 90s. So I just don't see how that's... It feels like things that were considered abnormal at one point are now considered normal and the reverse. I mean, you mentioned earlier that when you were discussing therapy back in the 60s or the or, or late 50s, to go to therapy was considered bizarre. Oh, yeah. Now it's, it's just crazy. Common. Yeah. It seemed very crazy. And it's even become normalized now because but because it's being capitalized on because they pro pharmaceutical companies just saw a big opportunity to make 
pump a lot of drugs into the system and just make a lot of profit from it. And that just makes our the drug war way an absurd because you know what? I think they should legalize all drugs. I mean, they shouldn't just give them away like nothing, but they should set some standards where if somebody wants to do some something on their own terms, they should have the freedom to do it and they shouldn't sell it. I agree. I honestly agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on the whole technological. I, that was interesting that you brought that up because people have like their phones and their computers on their lap while they're watching like a movie on their TV screen or sometimes they even watch like like the shows on their phones and it's not even meant to be watched on the cell phone or on the computer. It's meant to be seen on the big screen, I think, you know, like on a TV or a movie theater screen. I, I feel like people like people don't really think about that because films, film, when films came out, it was always screened in the theater, you know, or it was screened on a TV screen. And now, like, it's so easily accessible now we just watch it on cell phones. And I don't think that's like normal. I don't think it's normal. No, I, I don't watch. I don't watch films on my phone. Never. I try uh, not. To. I try not to. It just it's it, it's it just takes away from the experience, I think, you know, the only time I ever watched it and it wasn't even a phone. I was watching the film. It was like this. It wasn't an iPad. It came out in 2012. It was like this mini, I, this cell-shaped iPad. I, I don't know what it was called. The Kindle or something? Not no. the Kindle. It was like, it's basically the, it's the shape and size of, of a basic smartphone. Like, oh. I don't know what it was. I mean, but you could be, I didn't know how to use iTunes on anything and you couldn't stream iTunes on your PlayStation or Xbox at the time, I think. And mm-hmm. I watched a movie, but and that was before I even got before I even got a smartphone. Right. But yeah, I think that the executives are very conscious about the attention spans of people that they try and make these much more simplified, superscripted story, forms of storytelling. I mean, are there any other um, MCU shows that you feel have followed this exact pattern like Moon Knight and then um, or just never fo- never started that way at all? I think it would only be like, I think like my only favorite like show from the MCU right now is Loki, honestly. Really? Yeah. People say WandaVision too. I think that was like, I think that definitely took also took like a creative approach towards storytelling. Cause like when people saw that first episode, they were just like, I don't know if you've seen it, but when they saw that first episode, they were like, what the fuck? This is not, this is, this is not a superhero show. This is like a, a sitcom, you know? 60s sitcom or a 50s yeah. sitcom. Yeah, this is weird, you know? And I and when I watched it, I was like, all right, here you go. And then I saw it, I was like, why do I like this? You know, I was, I was, very, I was very like fascinated by it because I didn't think Marvel would have even have the balls to like take a creative approach like that, you know? And... I feel like we just need more of that in like superhero shows. Cause I feel like it's just all starting to sound the same, you know, it's all like blending together to become the same story, you know, same with movies. Oh but, yeah. I saw the last MCU film I saw was Spider-Man No Way Home. And I've learned that they're going to make another Spider-Man film with Craven the Hunter. And I've only read one Spider-Man comic with Craven in it, uh, Craven's Last Hunt. And I could never see that being made into a movie because not only is it super dark, 
it's also told from the perspective of Craven entirely. And if you look at that character, he's incredibly primal, primal mm-hmm. and just terrifying in a way where if they were to tell a movie from his perspective, I don't think the MCU could ever do that without taking the major risks in alienating their viewership because I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil the comic, but it's just fucked up and dark. And this is Spider-Man when he has the black suit on also. And Craven, I mean, he's a hunter. He basically treats Spider-Man as some form of prey, but not in a superficial way, like something spiritual, like he's conquering some evil demon that needs to be destroyed. Sounds trippy. Oh, I mean, fuck, I think you could even read that comic on acid. Jesus. There are, there are moments where it really gets trippy. and. I've gotten that feeling from reading Moon Knight. I mean, I've read Moon Knight comics and I was uh, that's why I was skeptical about the idea of ever approaching the show. And I don't even know now if I'll see it because I mean, if the first three episodes are good and how many episodes are on that show? Six, I think. I think uh, it's six, yeah, it's six. Still, if, you, if they fuck up, I mean, that's the same reason I'm skeptical about watching Game of Thrones because if the ending's fucked up and I heard the ending for Game of Thrones was terrible, it is. And it kind of ruins and it ruins the whole basis of the show. Yeah. I'm curious. Um is Cra- for the Craven the Hunter movie they're making, are they are they basing oh. it off that comic you just mentioned? I'm not sure. And now I'm surprised you're telling me it's a movie on him. I thought he I, was going to be a Spider-Man villain in the next Spider-Man film. Oh no, I thought I thought they were making a Craven the Hunter movie. I thought so. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure because you know what you surprised me by what you said. So I, I could be the one who's wrong in, in assuming, and maybe you're right that it is Craven the Hunter. Possibly. I mean, I, 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 I remember reading somewhere that like it would, they were making a movie about that or something. I mean, he could be also a villain in the next Spider-Man film. I mean, who knows, but I heard somewhere they were making a movie based off him. Well, I'm, I guess I'm more optimistic about superhero films or comic book films that take the approaches that Joker and the Batman take, because I know they've already announced that they're going to do a trilogy for that those Batman films, which probably, which probably pissed off Matt Reeves, because I doubt he would like to announce that they're going to make sequels, mm-hmm. even though I think they, they left a lot of room for really good storytelling. But the, the idea that they announced them ahead of time is something that does bother me because I think that they even ruined some really good MCU films. I mean, I like Black Panther, but it's not a masterpiece. And the fact that they showed the Infinity War trailer before the movie was even released where Black Panther's in the trailer kind of <laughs> ruins the idea of any sense of danger for the main protagonist. Yeah. And that film is, note, is praised for having a great antagonist, which it does. And that's what makes it one of those rare MCU films, because for once, the villain has real dimension to him. Right. You know, I agree with that. Um, I think like. Uh, um, going back to what you said about the, the Avengers Infinity War trailer being shown in front of the Black Panther screening, that's like <laughs> that's just funny to me because like Marvel just showing these trailers before their own films. And just like basically spoiling what's going, what's about to happen <laughs> in the film. I think it's just hilarious to me. I don't know, but it's tragic in my view because you know, as I think that even if they just stopped with the Batman, that would have been a good ending because it would have been a good interpret, a good interpretation, a good, much fresher interpretation of the character. And going back to what my optimism of those movies is that they take these characters and tell these very unique takes and 
I think they could do that with loads of other comic book characters that people have never heard of. I mean, I don't, do you read comics? No, no, I, I used to read, um, I used to read a couple Ghost Rider comics. That's like, that's my favorite Marvel hero. They need to make a movie on him or something. A good one. A, a good one. A good one. Yes. Not just a movie, a good one. And uh, I read a couple Spider-Man ones and a couple Deadpool ones just for shits and giggles, but that's pretty much it. Nothing else. There's this really good comic book writer named Tom King who's done multiple characters, whether it's Batman, Mr. Miracle, which is a DC character, which I think could be brought to life in unique in a lot of unique ways. He's done Superman. He's even done one on he's even done one on his own experiences in Iraq because he's apparently I get he used to work for the CIA and he made one called the Sheriff of Babylon, which just shows how fucked up the situation is Iraq that you can't root for that. You just know that no matter what side, whether you're for or against the war, it was a shit show from the start and it's a great comic. And I don't know. I mean, when he, what he did with Mr. Miracle and he even did a vision comic, which is, which is why I, when I actually heard the announcement for WandaVision, I was kind of optimistic that they were going to take that approach. But obviously based on what you've told me, WandaVision didn't even go there. Because Vision, the comic is really fucked. It's tragic in many ways, but very intellectual. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I have like a, per, I don't know how you feel about the Avengers movies or which one's your favorite, but I saw, I have like this, I have like a, a personal love for the second one, Age of Ultron, because it felt different. Really? I don't that's know. It's like usually the most like hated Avengers movie, if I'm not like mistaken. I know. And I think that in many ways it feels more honest because it doesn't feel traditional. It feels different. And even the villain Ultron, there's something about him that seems so unexpected because when they showed that trailer with the music and his nature, you thought you were going to get the standard movie villain, but this behemoth of ma- of chaos and you get some of that, but then you, and then with the humor, they use it in a way to show you that he's very flawed as a, as a character because yeah, he's a robot, but he has human elements in him. Right. And that's why I actually liked him more as a villain than Loki, which everybody grew to love after the first Avengers film. He was good. And I feel, I think he was good in the Avengers film. I think that was like, I think I really like Loki the best in that film out of all the other films that he was in. Tough for me because I mean, Thanos is really good and, probably where they really took it to a whole new level and painting such a trad a a very interesting character because you may they made you understand why he was doing what he was doing and they even made you kind of empathy like kind of sympathetic in a sense because he isn't they don't portray him as a guy who enjoys doing what he does at least not entirely right what did you oh go ahead no you you go ahead you go ahead sorry about that I was going to ask you, what did you think about the way they did him in Endgame as opposed to Infinity War? Because some I've heard criticisms that they complain. They're kind of in the form of complaints on how they just made him much more maniacal in Endgame. You're talking about Thanos? Mm-hmm. I think, I think he was more, I think I, I for personally, like I loved Infinity War better than Endgame because it told like a different story than that I like than like I've ever seen in a Marvel film. Like you're, you're, I feel like the main character was definitely Thanos. He was definitely like the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And we we're basically following him on his journey to get the infinity stones and like 
you know, the, the Avengers are like trying to stop him and all that shit. But like it, it was different storytelling and you, you understood where he was coming from. You were like before we were talking about like understandable, like character, bad intentions, you know. But in Endgame, I feel like they did make him more like villain, more villainous. You, you did not understand where he was coming from and well I mean you you knew where he was coming from but in this if you if you just watched this film and you haven't watched Infinity War you would just think like okay yeah he's just a psychopath wanting to like basically blow up the universe you know and um I can I agree with you I think I think he's more like maniacal in that film like, yeah oh go ahead sorry for just, you know he's just on a rampage just he he's he wants to get his goal done and it's nothing but his goal, you know, to like make sure everything is just blown to pieces, really. So with me, I struggle because at the same time, they did present him in a new way where he's a, from a different timeline and he learns about what he did in a different timeline. And when he says when he realizes that he's not just going to wipe out half the universe, he's going to wipe it all out and just start press reset on it. And yeah, I think that was an interesting way of going about it because it tells you okay, maybe we were wrong to sympathize with him that he's a hundred times more twisted than that. It's just that it's not his, just his intentions. It's his, it's his manner of reasoning that is so fucking twisted because he's, he's narrowing down the idea of, of existence and life in a very mathematical way, which you can't do. And even his plan from Infinity War is flawed because the idea of limited resources, yeah, well, they're going to become limited. If you think that they're limited, they're going to reach that point again at some point, even if you reduce half the population of the universe. Yeah. It's yeah. deemed to happen. But yeah, and uh, I wanted to ask you, are there, any, are there any independent directors you like that kind of give you hope that there, that new forms of storytelling are emerging outside of just Ari Aster and Robert Eggers that just make you believe? Because with prior, uh, previous conversations I've had with filmmakers, I mean, they pretty much agree that the studio system is just losing its edge. It definitely is. But I, I can also say that, like, you know, with... Um, I feel like it's also going to start making a comeback soon because, you know, these, these, like, yeah, you have, we want to make these, these films for like people that are not really like, that don't really have attention, like the attention span to watch like a whole two hour, one hour and a half movie. But I feel like it will come back eventually where those unique stories and those unique, um, um, films are going to start coming out. Like look at Dune, you know, look at, look at the Batman. I think like I, I think that's just, that those are like two two good examples. Also, the Northmen, I think those are like three good examples of like the studio system bringing back unique films and unique storytelling to like the audience. Um, but at, in terms of like filmmakers that I look up to, um, I really love the Safdie brothers um, and how they take like a like this cinematic verite approach to like. Um, life in new york um also i love sean baker um you know director of tangerine florida project he he makes things on the lowest budget possible and with like a small crew he makes a feature film possible and it just still looks good it's 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 perfectly written i think um 
yeah, those are like the actually pretty much like the the two filmmakers I really look up to, honestly. And you know, also Robert Eggers, Ari Aster. Yeah, I mean, I think I think like indie films are are making a come up and like unique storytelling. And I feel like also with like Robert Eggers and um, you know, like movies like Dune and the Batman um, coming out in the future. I feel like it's going to bring back a whole new creative approach towards how films are released in the, through the studio system. And oh yeah. Because a lot, like when it comes to filmmakers, like a film like Dune, that film is almost more, more than two and a half hours. And yet it's an, it's an epic that you have to pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. People will probably see an epic sci-fi film, but I see an epic sci-fi film that explores many of the things going on today in our current climate. Oh Yeah when it comes to issues like imperialism, fucked up politics and how everything is just a political circle jerk where both sides are pawns in the game. Cause I, I mean, you remember the Harkins from, uh, from Dune. Yes. They're the eve they're evil and imperialistic, but they're just pawns from a greater force like the emperor. And if you saw his militia, those guys are just, just even greater monsters. And oh, I'm sorry with the, kind of burp there the batman that's basically a love letter letter to david fincher by the style oh, yeah. which was done as well as other noir directors but i most i guess it's the fan boy in me who loves seven and with the rainy city and the mm. gloomy cinematography i don't know who did the cinematography for seven but it it just felt like i was watching a batman version of seven hell even when he punches gordon in that one scene and he runs across the police station it feels like he just stepped into the set of seven right you can make a short film a short comedy skit about that like david fincher's in the midst of, of filming seven and then this guy in a batman costume walks up he's like what the fuck is this asshole <laughs> doing up because he's just running and there's something even ridiculous of the way batman runs in that scene because it's not clean. It's not perfect. I mean, it's a dude with a cape running around a police station. Right. And uh, I guess that just does give me hope because the fact that these, that even comic book films or mainstream films are pay, are not necessarily copying so much as taking direct influence from these old school films is fascinating. I mean, you said you didn't like the lighthouse, but, and, but, and I understand that, but when I watched it, I felt like I was watching something from Bergman in many ways with the, just the authenticity of the way the characters interact in this way you don't see with people. Right. That's the only thing I really liked about The Lighthouse. Just, um, just it's a human film. Just, that's all I can call it, you know? What didn't you like about it, if I'm just curious? <sighs> what, I, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to say, like, I do like it now. I just didn't like it, like, the first two times I watched it. Uh, I, it was, like, I just was really confused about what it was about until, like, it took me, like, three more times to watch it, so. So it was based this, this, you had, like, prior expectations about what kind of story it was going to be about? Yeah, I did. Hmm, that's... I, and yeah, but then again, nowadays, a lot of films are more plot focused than they are character driven. And that just does make it very, very detrimental to the flow of the narrative when they just focus on the plot rather than the characters. Right. I mean, oh God, I don't know. What's the, what's another example of a good, well, a good character driven movie. There are so many that it's hard to point out. I mean, as I mentioned, Thief is a good character driven story because 
if you watch the film, it's all character based on the main character played by James Caan. I mean, you already know what he's after, but you don't get the set. The movie never gives you a sense that he's going to achieve that goal or that it's even realistic. Right. And he's not portrayed as some deluded fool. I think it's more like the idea he's after is a delusion that society is always, always promoted to some extent. Right. Which makes me wonder, what do you, I mean, how do you think the, the, the climate we're in affects the way good storytelling is being shaped? Um, so that's a good question. I think like when the pandemic came, when the pandemic um, came and hit us, I think like that inspired everybody to tell like a lot of different kinds of different kinds of stories and stuff like that um and i mean hell it inspired me to like come up with stories that i wanted to make um that i never thought i would make and i don't know i just think like there's a, there's a lot for inspiration right now in the climate that we live in um whether that's political whether that's social whether that's you know physical mental spiritual i think there's a lot of inspiration do you think there are a lot, what issues do you think that are currently going on? Do you feel have faced the risk of being over-politicized within narratives? Because the worst thing you can do in a, in a narrative is focus on the more idealistic elements where it's more about the ideology than it is about the story. I think like, um, I needed some time to think about that question. No, don't worry. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think like ideologically speaking, like I feel like a lot of like, there's a lot of content out there that talks about the same thing, you know? And I feel like, I don't know if that's just executives like trying to like control these different stories to um, please a certain type of demographic or audience that um, usually watches these films that's but awesome. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I don't know, you know? It's hard to determine because think of it this way. You can understand where some of these marginalized groups come from, but then when corporations get mixed up, you know that they, that the corporations don't really care about the issues. They just care about maintaining, maintaining either their customer base or just, or just, playing it safe. I mean, whether you agree with something like Black Lives Matter or not, you know, for a fact, Nike, a company like Nike or Amazon doesn't really give a shit about them. I mean, they're, not, they're not necessarily against them, but they're just good. They're just good use for their advertising. It's they and they try to find like creative ways to like advertise it so that they can profit off of it. And it's not really and I and I, I don't think it's that they really like what you said. I don't think that's really what they care that they care it's just a whole money game, you know? I mean, look at the, I mean, I don't know how recent the Netflix walkout was, but the fact that so many employees were willing to give up their job at Netflix just because they felt offended by some skit by a comedian is just fucking stupid. I just think that, I just think they're too sensitive, you know, from the whole thing. I feel like they were just, they just wanted, I think it was just like a statement really. You know, yeah, it feels like it's a bad statement. <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up that uh, being a statement because I remember 
I remember when I saw Batman versus Superman, I didn't like the film and I still think it has flaws, but in many ways it kind of was ahead of its time because there's a moment in the film where this commentator who's actually a real commentator in real life, Andrew Sullivan, really smart guy, says that every statement, every statement now is a political statement. Mm -hmm. And even when Superman is saving people, that's controversial. And that just seems like a reflection of the current era we're living under where I don't know. I mean, I just feel like you can't do anything nowadays without it just there. The, it, it's starting a whole new conversation on questions that you didn't feel you had to answer. I don't yeah. know. Do you, can you think of any examples of that that just strike you and maybe even think that hey, that could be a good avenue for storytelling? I mean, like in terms of like statements becoming like controversial, like and like everything becoming con everything like like i feel like nowadays like i'm gonna go back to where it all starts like i feel like um like saying something that people get really offended by and it just becomes political it's just really stupid i don't think like everything should be political nowadays you know i really don't think that at all i feel like everybody tries to make make things political um, I don't know. Actually, I don't know why people try to make things political nowadays, honestly. And I don't know why there's this whole, and I, I don't know why there's this whole division between like ideologies and stuff like that. I mean, it's a great, it's a great way. It's a great thing to make a movie about, honestly, because. No, there's a lot of hostile. It's the hostility. That's the, the thing that surprises me. I mean, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know if you followed and if you follow where you follow your news or if it's anything independent, but I used to follow this mm -hmm. independent news channel called Democracy Now!, but the moment they went after, well, there were two instances that made me just lose faith in them. And I thought that, and they were known as that rebel-like news organization that questions authority and institutions of power. But the moment they had a guy lying about Bitcoin on one of their shows, like straight up lying about transaction fees. I just knew that they, that they suspended their ability to rationalize. And, and then when they were going after Joe Rogan, just because he expressed criticisms of the vaccines, it wasn't just that they disagreed with what he was saying. It's that their ability to rationalize something that was very simple was bizarre because you can express criticism about something regardless. And even if you have someone on your show that's controversial, that's not you endorsing them. That's just you letting someone express their opinion. I mean, it, I mean, there used to be a time where you could say, you know what, I would defend the right of, an, of a racist to express their views because I want, I want to be justified in telling them, okay, you've had the right, right to say what you wanted. Now I can tell you you're an idiot, mm -hmm. but you have no right to complain and say that I didn't give you a chance. All right. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just a lot, a lot of hostility. And that isn't in many ways. I feel that I saw that in the Batman a bit. I mean, the whole fringe nature of the, of the Riddler group, because totally, lot, yeah. I mean, the protest, the, the protesting element and the fact that it reminded me of those online hate groups that form around certain issues like the incel culture. Mm -hmm. And that was really do well done, not in a stereotypical way. I feel like, like coming, like from what you're saying about Batman, I think it's culturally relevant to what our society is like today. 
I feel like it's more culturally relevant today, like more, more than I thought it was, honestly, which is um, like what you said about the Riddler group kind of residing with those hate groups online and stuff like that. Oh yeah. And even the interrogation scene is done, is done really well because it does have a lot of twists where Batman realizes the impact he's had. And you realize the Riddler isn't as maniacally sane or maniacally calculate. Well, he's calculating, but he realized he's even crazier than you imagine in a way where it was kind of, I wouldn't say comical, but he, you you believe when he believes that Batman, that he fought Batman di- directly inspired him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and that, I mean, I expected something different from happening from that scene. I actually thought he was going to just break through the glass and yank him out and torture him for information. <laughs> Not, and I don't see that as something funny so much as, he just got so angry now that he played a role in this, that he's just, he just wants the answers from this guy. Yeah. But I guess, um, is there anything else you want to bring up about your work in film that, you, that you'd like people to find out more about? I'm sorry if I phrased that improperly, my tongue twisted there. Yeah, no worries. I mean, um, we have an Instagram page um, for Rake. Uh, it's rake underscore short film pretty easy to find um i also have like a production it's not really a production company but it's more of like a brand imprint kind of thing where we uh, produce short films um it's called midnight summer midnight summer films um also easy to find on instagram and yeah that's pretty much all i gotta all i got to plug <laughs> is there any other way oh. And are there any other places you can they can find uh, that people can find out about your work or even your the the film you you already made and where they can learn more updates about the film you already have in the uh, your are in, you said that your current film Rake is in the process of the f- festival phase. Yeah, and we 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 um as we get selected from more festivals, we update on our Instagram page. We only use Instagram uh, to like just like update like people that follow it on what's going on. Same with Midnight Summer Films. We update for every film that we produced um, on that page as well. As well why, as in, why Instagram exclusively? That's like, the, I feel like that's like just the, the, the one of the top like platforms that filmmakers that, um, that I know personally um, use. Um, to promote their their works and stuff they use Facebook sometimes but not as much because that's targeted towards an older demographic and you have these like younger kids and you have these younger um, like um, filmmakers that are actually more on Instagram rather than any other um, platform even YouTube I'm surprised that it was even TikTok because I thought TikTok was kind of overtaking Instagram I mean I'm not on any of the I'm not on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook but I always thought that with the craze that was going around TikTok, that it would eventually supersede in something like Instagram. It's funny you said that because we actually started, we actually, for one of the films I produced, we, we tried starting a TikTok account um, to promote, like to promote our film, but didn't really work as much for us, honestly. Why was there problems down like uh, uploading? I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was like an algorithm thing from TikTok, but um, uh, it's all oh, it's always algorithm when it comes yeah. to these platforms. 
Yeah, but I mean, I think I think for us, like Instagram works better, honestly, because we could share photos and videos and TikTok is just really only video content. But well, if there's any other links you want to share with me and I can put them in the description of the episode, because that way people can help better learn more about your work, your your profile and even even your your brand. I'd appreciate it. That way I could, that way they'll just know more about you. I mean, and Chris, I really want to thank you for giving me the time of your day to do this interview. No, thank you for reaching out. I had a lot of fun on this podcast talking about everything we did. So oh, if, you, if you want to do it again sometime, just send me an email. You already have my information. Yeah, of course. Well, thank again, Chris. I want to thank you again for giving me the time of your day. I well, wish you the best in your in your journey with film. And and I really appreciate talking to you about all sorts of film of, of film of bits of film culture and just talking about independent film is rare for me with, with folks unless it's somebody on this podcast because a lot of people just don't watch independent films or even look to old films that most people either have forgotten or never knew about to start with yeah no i mean i think independent films and you know those those older films are super important to watch as a filmmaker honestly because um you know those independent films are done on a low budget and these filmmakers are like wondering like oh how can i you know how can i make this film with this i need i'm gonna need a lot of money truth is you really don't you know you have to get creative with it and that's what being a filmmaker is all about so okay and uh you mind if i send you some links because i don't know how familiar you are with bitcoin but i just share it with everybody because i figure you know it's a good technology to make really decent money and i figure you know what why not share it with anybody i Figured I, I, I mean, I promote it on the channel to some extent because before I do each episode, I have like an intro where I mention the two sponsors of this podcast and even some, I even add some referral links to other products I have. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, you know what? I'll send you my way and I'll, and I'll send you a link to this once I finish uploading it. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. I'll send you, I'll send you some links to also put on your channel if you want me to. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, they're going to be in those clips will be in the description of the podcast episode. So, yeah, I was going to put them there anyway. All right, cool. Perfect. Okay, well, Chris, thanks again. And until the next time we speak. For sure. Thank you for having me again. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Take care. You as well.